Hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of December 2021, and we are at the finale, the finale, if you will, of Kyle's Cold Christmas. Uh, as it so happens, uh, pretty much everyone in my orbit uh, is indisposed this week. So uh, this time around, it's just going to be uh, you folks and me. Uh, so this is going to be a solo cast. So if you're not in for that, uh, abort now. <laughs> um, that being said, uh, this is being recorded on the quick. And I think it's very fitting, too, being as um, this is Kyle's cold Christmas. Uh, so I decided to review a very cold film on what happens to be uh, supposedly one of the coldest weeks in uh, Seattle, Washington history. Uh, we, I found myself snowed in uh, immediately following the Christmas break. So uh, I uh, had a hell of a time just getting to my computer to record this. So uh, it's kind of amazing, actually, that I was able to get this done uh, in time for our, our usual Tuesday posting schedule. But that being said... Uh, I guess I'd I'd like to write myself into the history books here by uh, becoming the first and I, I imagine the first and only movie review podcast to uh, to review Blood Glacier as the final film of uh, of 2021. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's not exactly uh, going out uh, in style, not exactly going out with a bang for the calendar year, but you know I was a uh, desperate to find a cold themed movie and uh for the life of me i couldn't really think of any and uh, more importantly uh my brother had tipped me off to this um there seems to be an issue uh in searching for a cold film to review where there there are far too many survival films out there that it certainly fit the quote cold theme uh, however in the interest of keeping things you know fresh uh you know not repeating ourselves from week to week uh, i i he and I both, because I, I did have my brother Matt on the show earlier this month. Um, he and I both kind of went out of our way to try to stay away uh, from continually revisiting the, you know, icy survival themed uh, for a film. Uh, so uh, just to review, uh, this month we reviewed uh, Cold Skin. Uh, then we followed that up with North Face. Uh, so Cold Skin was a creature feature. Uh, North Face is a... Uh, uh, a historical uh, alpine adventure story and then we followed that up with a force majeure uh, aka tourist uh, which is quite an interesting film not at all having to do anything with survival although it does take place uh, in the alps and does feature quite a bit of snow uh, and in fact features an avalanche as kind of the plot catalyst so it, it's well within the cold theme that we're covering this month but uh Today, uh, for whatever the fuck reason, <laughs> I decided I wanted to review a film that I, uh, I put on my watch list maybe five years ago. Uh, just a little film by the name of Blood Glacier uh, from 2013. And uh, this is also a creature feature. And this was an uh, Austrian film, actually. Uh, potentially the only Austrian film I have ever seen. Uh, and this was directed by Marvin Krenn. Uh, Marvin, wow. Uh, Marvin Krenn, uh, who has... Uh, not a terribly extensive filmography, although he has done some international work, like like non-Austrian uh, or German language films in the form of uh, the ABCs of Death Part Two. He did a R is for Roulette, which was a segment from that anthology series. 
Uh, and he has a few other uh, Wikipedia-able uh, <laughs> entries on his filmography. But for the most part, he appears to be kind of small-time, uh, which is not a big deal when it comes to these types of films, like a, a fairly low-budget creature feature. I'm not... I don't exactly need an auteur at the helm in order to enjoy myself. But yeah, this was a film that I think I read like a paragraph description of the plot uh, many years ago, uh, probably around the time it came out, in fact. And I just thought to myself, you know, I, I like the thing. I like I like like wintry kind of creature features in general. I like monster on the loose movies. It's It's very much my thing. And on top of that, it has a little bit of like a contagion thriller uh theme going parallel to the creature stuff uh, which is always fun um but yeah i i decided to check this one out kind of on a whim uh largely because uh i don't know i think it's fun every once in a while to to check out not only like low budget foreign films of this nature you know like genre films not like highbrow cinema films but just like check out you know the other people's trash cinema <laughs> trash cinema but um on top of that, you know, I I wanted to keep it simple because this one was just going to be for me, so I didn't have to like worry about other people's feelings about it. Like I didn't have to worry about Kyle or my brother or whoever the fuck other guest may have been on the show uh, rolling their eyes and scoffing at the idea of reviewing a movie such as Blood Glacier. Um, but uh, just just for funsies, by the way, uh, the title uh, in its original Austrian release is a Blutglacier or Glazius. Uh, also, apparently, it goes by the station as well. But yeah, uh, I didn't really... I, I would have liked to have had like a big year-end finale episode or something. Uh, fortunately, I'm pretty sure Brad will be able to record with me and we'll, we'll be able to get a, a Catching Up on Blu-ray episode in before the year's out. But uh, yeah, it uh, looks like Blood Glacier <laughs> is going to be the final episode of Catching Up on Cinema for the year 2021. Uh, so... Just to give a little uh, plot summary uh, for Blood Glacier, um, I'm just going to read directly from the from the Wikipedia entry here. It says, uh, a strange liquid poses a threat to anything living. <laughs> uh, basically, we have a situation where there's a remote research crew uh, consisting of a few scientists and like a technician uh, up in the Austrian Alps. I investigating uh the glacier the movement of glaciers like studying the the measuring and movement of glaciers uh in an effort to combat global warming and climate change uh, and it just so happens they come across a, a chunk of glacier that is seemingly drenched in like a blood-like substance and uh merry mishaps ensue um this movie gets rolling very quickly it only has a 97 slash 98 minute runtime uh, it moves at a fairly brisk pace uh so it doesn't have a whole lot of time to lollygag but um being as this is just me uh i probably won't be going super in depth with this but i'll try to go front to back with it as best i can um we do begin with uh, a crawl a text crawl which is <laughs> which is always fun in, in movies of this nature and actually uh, it's fairly well written. Uh, it's it's well written to to an extent where it's like it's kind of compelling. Uh, so I'll just read that here. Uh, in 2014, the last skeptics fall silent. The climate disaster is worse than ever imagined. Antarctica's ice will be gone within a decade. The Alpine glaciers will disappear. The consequences are unclear, but we know one thing: life on Earth will change forever. 
and then uh, there's a pause. There's a beat there, and it just says, "We will change," and uh, all of this is like playing over. All of this imagery is playing over, a, like all this text is playing over, like a red background that looks kind of like, like you're viewing uh, something under a, a microscope. Uh, but then what follows is just this, like, kind of a, an annoying uh, quirk in the cinematography here. And uh, thankfully, it doesn't translate into the entire film. Um, but we have our protagonist, uh, who is played by an actor by the name of uh, Gerhard Liebman. Um, and looking at his filmography, I do not recognize a single thing that he has done. However, I was fairly impressed with him, um, with the caveat being, like, one major caveat being... Um, I was unfortunately forced to watch this film uh, in an English dub form. Uh, I absolutely would not have chosen to do that if I had an option, but unfortunately the, the only way I could find this movie uh, available for streaming was was uh, put out by IFC Midnight, I believe. That's the distributor, and uh, there was no other language option. So that was, that was bothersome from the get-go. Um, I feel like it detracted from the experience I quite significantly if i'm being 100 percent honest uh although you'll find i didn't hate this movie like i actually did have some fun with this movie although as tends to be the case with movies of this budget range and of of this level of ambition um it, it there are missed opportunities uh, many of which can be attributed to maybe issues with financing or or just like logistical issues but we'll, we'll get there when we get there but Anyway, the, the quirk in the cinematography that I was hinting at there uh, comes in the form of this character, uh, Yannick, uh, who's played by Gerhard Liebman. He's essentially our protagonist, and uh, he is on any number of substances, uh, be it drugs or painkillers or booze, uh, for a good chunk of the, like the first third of the movie. Um, and every time the camera's trained on him and every time that the, the filmmaker is wanting us to fall into his perspective uh it they they do like the focus polar is going fucking ape shit on the thing uh they have this like vignette effect that that creates like a black haze uh around the edges of the frame um there's a lot of like paul greengrassian-esque like shaky cam going on a lot of handheld stuff that's meant to be kind of like off balance and woozy i guess i i get what they're trying to do they're trying to put you in his mindset and make it known that he is off kilter um but at times it just felt maybe a little chintzy and maybe a little excessive but anyway uh we cut from that opening crawl to just like a dude like face fucking down in a shed <laughs> and uh this is yannick and this is like a, a work shed or i guess this is his his home on on the alps like on the mountains uh, and this is like a shed nearby a uh, research base. Uh, the official title is Climate Research Base Glazius, which is, of course, an alternate title for the film. And uh, we do get on-screen text informing us that uh, we have three re three scientists up here, one technician, that would be Yannick, and one dog. Um, and we have this loud music playing over uh over Yannick laying face down here and he gets woken up by one of the scientists uh, I believe her name is Berta and she has an aggressive haircut and uh I don't know if it's the English dub or what or what have you but um 
her character is just utterly obnoxious throughout this film. She has the biggest bug up her butt over everything. And she's just pounding on the door and waking him up, just giving him the most awful of rude awakenings. Um, but yeah, like I said, when when the camera is following Yannick as he kind of like clambers up to his feet very slowly, like uh, the 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 focus is all over the place. There's a lot of shaky cam going on. We're meant to know that he's like severely hungover and probably on a lot of painkillers. Although I do love the bit where he finally comes out of his shed. And the first thing he does is lights up a cigarette pets his dog and then walks from the shed into the like the research station proper in his underwear on a frozen mountain uh it's it's pretty great it's like wow this this is a man who gives zero fucks and actually for the most part i I quite enjoyed his performance again through the english dub which says quite a bit uh as to the quality of his his physicality and whatnot um, if I'm being honest, like he, he kind of like the way he looks in this film anyway, like I can't speak to what, the, uh, Gerhard Liebman looks like in, in his everyday life, but in this film, in this role, um, he kind of made me think of like a, a younger gruffer, like Jared Harris, I guess, uh, complete with the, like a scruffier beard. Uh, but anyway, Yannick is being like hassled by the three scientists who we meet. Uh, so there's two dude scientists and one lady scientist, the lady being Berta, um and they're all hassling him about fixing any number of things and again this guy is severely hung over and he's just he just does not give a fuck um but one thing that we do learn about him uh through this is that even though he doesn't seem to care very much about the scientists he loves his dog and uh, i will i'll give uh, all of you folks at home a warning right now um i do know that there is a website i forget what it's called but um there's a website out there for folks that um don't do so hot with uh <clears throat> bad bad things involving animals uh in film uh i forget again i forget the name of the website but basically it, it's a resource that you can like look up a film and it'll tell you right up front like if anything ha- like if a dog is harmed in the film or anything like that and uh just just to be up front we do full spoilers on catching up on cinema hopefully you know that by now but um uh, if you have issues with that sort of thing, um, maybe maybe don't bother with Blood, Blood Glacier. Um, it doesn't get super graphic uh, for the most part, but it does get fairly intense uh, if that's the sort of thing that, you know, would trigger you. But anyway, uh, we do see, uh, I will say this much, the, uh, the dog acting in this film is superb. Uh, the name of the dog is uh, Tinny. Uh, that's what they refer to him as, but... Um, he's he is a beautiful dog and he has a lot of character and he he acts incredibly well in this film but we get like one of the weirdest title drops i've seen in a long time so like we're we're barely five minutes into this film and this is where i start to have disagreements with the the pacing style of the film and the presentation as well um and what i mean by that is we see tinny the dog like staring off into the mid distance like looking up at a, a hill and we actually get like a a creature POV shot looking down at the camp, uh, complete with like chittering noises and stuff. And it's like, dude, we're we're less than five minutes into this movie, and you've already confirmed con- you are f- already confirmed for creature. Um, and I I know that there's there's no like set in stone rule book as to how to do these things, but in my mind, it's like I don't mind waiting for a monster to show up, especially if you can like 
really showcase the thing and really make its entrance memorable. Like, like uh, case in point, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, which uh, this movie probably does borrow some influence from. Uh, that movie took its sweet fucking time uh, getting to the creature business. Uh, it's all hinted at. Like you see it, you know, you know it's gonna happen. Like you, you know, something awful is on the horizon. But it takes quite a while before it actually explodes, and it explodes with a sound and a fucking fury. Uh, but this movie, even though you don't see anything, you you hear the chittering noise, you see the POV shot. It's like, dude, like we haven't even gotten to the title drop yet, and you're all you're already teasing a monster of some sort. It's like, what if I was just like flipping through a streaming service like shutter or something and i just put this on not quite knowing what to expect like honestly if i hadn't read a full plot summary for this movie and i just saw the title blood glacier and maybe like a like a a vague poster art for it or something i could have seen myself thinking that this was going to be like a a cabin fever movie as opposed to like a full-on monster movie or something so like I slightly disagree with that. But anyway, what I had alluded to earlier about the weird title drop is like the ti- we get like a full title, like like the whole screen is bathed in red and the words blood glacier just like fill the entire frame and it it just smashes onto the screen after after Yannick looks like gives gives like Tinny a side eye. Like he looks at his dog funny and then he looks away and then Bam! Blood glacier, and it's just like, whoa, um, you caught me off guard, but like maybe not in the good way. Um, but what follows is uh, a proper front credits to the film. Uh, it's a, it's like a nature montage, like lots of beautiful. I will say this much: the uh, on location cinematography is quite, quite lovely. Um, they make good use of their locations, although at times it does um, get in the way of the building of the drama of the film, uh, largely because it's such a wide open space. Um, and one thing that uh, John Carpenter's The Thing was able to do so well was heighten the sense of uh, isolation. Because even though that research station wasn't that small, um, the combination of the weather and the design of the sets, um, it really it really made it feel like there was very few places to hide in that place. Uh, whereas most of this film, actually, very surprisingly, this caught me off guard. Um, a lot of it takes place in the open air and in the daytime, uh, so it's it's it has the cards, it has the deck kind of like stacked against itself uh, in terms of attempting to build drama and and legitimate suspense and fear uh, in its audience. But we get this opening uh, credit sequence that shows lots of glacier photography, lots of uh, animals, lots of critters. Um, there's there's a fox, there's any number of insects, uh, and then Yannick and one of the scientists uh, go out trekking across the glaciers with Tinny, uh, who's kind of on point, um, and you can tell that there's like a weird dynamic between the scientists and, and Yannick, like they, they tolerate him, and also the scientist does kind of try to interrogate him about like, hey man, he's, Yannick is essentially our McCready. Like, like it's made known during this conversation that uh, Yannick has been camping out on this mountain for like five years, uh, even though uh, a tour of duty on this mountain for this project technically is only supposed to last one year. Uh, so there's something keeping this man on the mountain, and he's he's keeping it to himself for now. But I think we also get mention of a of a Tanya, uh, who is somebody who used to work up here uh, with Yannick. 
uh, but she's not here right now. But anyway, uh, the two of them uh, have tied each other together at the waist uh, to keep themselves like to keep track of each other and to help themselves get up the mountain. And uh, they're messing around with a a research booth, like a, a station they have, like a monitoring station. Um, and Tinny kind of gets uppity and discovers the titular Blood Glacier. Um, now, the the Blood Glacier is massive, by the way. Um, essentially, it is what you would expect. It's it's a big mound of ice, uh, like a, a natural ice and rock formation, um, covered in red, like red viscous sludge. Um, it's it's kind of weird looking. It's a little bit gross, honestly. It looks like somebody I don't know threw a bunch of marinara sauce on, on an icy mountain. Um, it's rendered pretty well. Uh, it's uh, the effect is achieved via numerous mediums like various technologies uh there's some fairly impressive like match move shots where they they did some form of compositing um and really really skillfully matched the uh the the natural camera judder uh that that comes with any movement of the camera there's one shot in particular following tinny like running around the the base of the of the glacier that looks pretty good um in other instances not as convincingly it's achieved via like color correction um, that looks a little wonky and a little cheap at times. Um, and then for a couple of close-ups where, where actors have to uh, interact with the thing directly, uh, one of the scientists, of course, because he's a scientist, uh, needs to take a sample of the thing. Um, they actually have like a, a physical prop that, that looks quite good up close. Like it holds up to, to close, like like macro photography and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's it's achieved via a variety of techniques. Um but I want to say that maybe it was a uh, cost prohibitive or time or too time consuming uh, to the point that they weren't able to have too many shots of it throughout the film uh, because very conveniently the blood glacier like the blood glacier the mountain sized blood glacier uh, disappears uh, after this initial encounter with it um, when we revisit the location uh, in in subsequent episodes in the film. Um, it just looks like a normal glacier, and my gut tells me that's probably just because uh, the compositing took too much fucking time and probably cost too much money. So they were like, "Hey, can we like write that that quirk out of the out of the film?" Like, like they do have a, a few, like a handful of additional shots towards the end of the film that do retain the effect, but the whole middle of the film, it's totally absent. Um, which is a little bit weird, but it doesn't feel like it's cheating or anything. It's just, it's unusual. Um, anyway, uh, we're fucking around, uh, with the blood glacier, taking, uh, samples and hanging out, taking readings and whatnot. Uh, and then, uh, Yannick and Tinny hear what sounds almost like a, a woman screaming. Now, uh, we did see a, a fox during that opening credits sequence and it does make a a yowl or a yelp of sorts directly into the camera and it sounds very very similar to this so i guess that's what a a fox can sound like um anyway uh tinny goes sniffing around uh inside a little cave at the base of the blood glacier and uh comes across a just like gnarly looking fox and uh we get our first instance of uh practical effect affects glory uh, in this film this would make kyle very happy because uh this film like despite it not being an amazing film by any means i would not call this an amazing like an exceptional example of this particular subgenre of monster film um to its credit 
uh, they really do lean pretty hard into the the puppets, into the prosthetics and and animatronic, uh, like practical monster effects. Uh, there's very little CGI in terms of monster effects. Mostly, um, mostly that's relegated to instances where like creatures are airborne or moving, moving very very quickly. But for the most part, it's just puppetry and uh, lighting. And, you know, I have to tip my hat to them. That's not something every production is willing to do. I mean, I've seen God knows how many fucking sci-fi films like Troll for <laughs> like any number of snake-oriented or troll-oriented sci-fi channel films that uh, make extensive use of terrible, like terrible CGI. Uh, but this one doesn't do that. Uh, and, you know, that's that's something to be admired. Anyway, uh, Tinny happens across this fox and... Uh, we see that it has something growing in its belly uh, and it doesn't look happy about it. And uh, we see something like pushing out from its, its stomach. Like think, think alien Ridley Scott's alien. If, if, you know, if you want an example of what I'm referring to here. Um, anyway, we don't see what happens here, but we hear Tinny whining and uh, Yannick goes running into the cave and uh, he discovers Tinny just kind of uh, cowering in the corner of the cave uh, with some sort of puncture wound in his underside. Uh, but otherwise, Tinny's okay, just harmed and and scared. Uh, not dying or anything, though. Uh, so Yannick, by the way, uh, really badly hit his head um, getting up from a console in the, in the research booth. Uh, so he has a, a head wound. And uh, the other scientist that was with him also, like, tore his thumb open, falling down a rock, like, he, like a rocky mountainside. Uh, so everyone... Everyone on this little journey has been injured to some extent. Um, anyway, uh, they do make it back, and uh, the scientist did take a sample of the glacier, and uh, Berta examines it and reveals that whatever that red substance is, it is organic, it is alive, it does seem to be, it seems to be a cluster of single-cell organisms, not, not plant life, though. Um, anyway, uh Yannick gets right fucking ripped like he gets drunk immediately <laughs> um it's actually kind of impressive how everybody's talking about like going back out and they need him to like bring them back to the glacier and he's just throwing back glass after glass of booze <laughs> it's just like ah uh, yeah I don't I don't think that's gonna happen today guys um meanwhile there's a, a B plot unfolding in the form of a secondary party which consists of some form of governmental minister uh, who's coming up to the research station uh, to survey what work, like their findings and whatnot. So there's there's this, remember, the, like the, the opening crawl of this movie made reference to climate change, uh, or at least the plot summary did anyway. And that is a strong, there's a strong undercurrent of that throughout this entire film. Uh, so a lot of these scientists are very wary of having whatever it is they've discovered up here being made public too quickly. Uh, because they don't want to upset their their research track and whatnot. Um, anyway, we do see that the minister is arriving at a a nearby town uh, to walk in to be guided in on foot by by another guide who we do learn is uh, Tanya, uh, who apparently Yannick uh, has a past with. Uh, so, <laughs> in response to uh, Yannick's head wound and the fact that he wants to tell the minister and everybody who's coming to the research station about the uh he he refers to it as a rabid fox um he believes there's some sort of rabid fox out on the mountain that harmed his dog and whatnot uh in order to get him to shut the fuck up 
uh, they actually dose him with morphine. Um, and at one point, like it, it was shocking to me that he actually like makes off with the bottle. Like it, it seems like they gave him like the morphine and they're just like giving him a dose of it. But then we see like a scene later. No, he, he like walked off with that and he's just like helping himself to it. It's like, dude, that, that's kind of dangerous. Um, anyway, uh, he gets a radio call, uh, from Tanya and this is where it, it's made known that, uh, the two of them have a romantic past, and it seems that the reason why he's staying on the mountain is that they were up there together. Uh, they had a some they had some sort of love situation going on, and she just inexplicably left, and it, it wounded him such that he's I guess either stayed on the mountain to uh, remove himself from society, or more than likely to like in in the slim like on the slim chance that she would come back to him um and in this case she's coming back um but they they have this communication over the radio and we can see that it puts him in a uh, emotional state of sorts um the way they communicate over the radio is is not exactly 100 percent pleasant like it's it's clearly there's tension between the two of them but uh you better believe he hits that morphine pretty fucking hard and this is where it's it's a little bit frustrating is that I pick I picked this movie because it was called Blood Glacier um in the hopes they would fit into the cold theme we have going this month. Uh the cold plays no part in this film actually. There's quite a bit of ice uh in the film, no snow for the most part. Um and the the actors never really seem to make it known or, or don't really ever seem to integrate into their performance that this environment is cold or, or a pain in the ass to be in. Uh, that was one thing that was really effective about um, John Carpenter's The Thing was that it like the the cold in that film was utterly oppressive and more than that, dangerous. Uh, there's that scene where McCready is locked outside. They, they cut him loose from, from his guideline and the chances of him freezing to death out there are extraordinarily high. Um, whereas up here, it's like, we have this scene where Yannick uh, doses himself with morphine and passes out until nighttime. Uh, and he's just wearing like an army coat. Like he, like he doesn't even have a hat on, honestly, but he wakes up and he's fine. He's not even like jittery. Like his teeth aren't even chattering. It's, it's like, Oh, it's not, I guess it's not that cold on the blood glacier. <laughs> um, anyway, he wakes up in the middle of the night uh, to the sound of rustling behind, behind the research station and uh, I did like the lensing here. Uh, we get this really awesome horizontal beam effect coming out of his flashlight whenever it's pointed towards the lens. And uh, he sees a furry something or other uh, messing around the garbage cans behind the station. And we have this, like, maybe unintentionally comedic bit where he very quietly whispers into the radio, I need the gun, but be very quiet about it. And then the person on the other end of the radio just pauses and says, What? <laughs> very loudly and Yannick's like motherfucker and uh then we get our uh our first proper bit of monster action actually like like we had had it teased in the form of the POV shot and then further by that that shot of the the fox uh having like a chest burster or something come out of it but now we actually get an on-screen monster of some sort and I'm not gonna lie I was kind of impressed by this it 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 shocked me because we see a furry something or other behind like rustling around the the garbage bins and whatnot um but what what comes out at yannick um 
I did not see this coming. <laughs> oh, man, I did not see that coming. Um, I totally didn't see this coming. Uh, what comes at him appears to be, and this is confirmed by, through dialogue from the other characters, um, it appears to be a beetle fox. Uh, now try to put that together in your head. Imagine like the face of a beetle, but trying its its damnedest to look like a fox. Uh, so what you have here is a giant hairy beetle thing that has fox-like features on its quote face um it's it's a nasty bugger and it comes right at him and it's making all sorts of skittering noises and uh yeah he's a little freaked out (laughs) just a little freaked out um and what follows is um by the way as he's getting up from the morphine dosing um that uh focus pulling and that vignette effect uh on the cinematography was this is where it was really kind of bugging me and uh, I don't know what it is, but there's there's a a thing that happens in movies sometimes where there's a character who's in a manic state and everyone around him's not listening or not doing what we, the audience, know to be the right thing. Um, and for some reason, when I see this happen in certain movies, it, it just pisses me off. Like, I get really frustrated because, like, you, we, the audience, are privy to certain, like, information that the characters are not. So, obviously, it gets a little frustrating. But there's a certain way of doing it where it actually, like, it it's not part of the drama. It just becomes irritating. And this kind of happens here where Yannick bursts into the research station and he's rambling on and on and on about, like, a, a rabid fox. But then he mentions that it looks like a, a monster or, like, a, a mutant or something. And it looks like a beetle or some shit. And he's just like he's off balance. The camera's really floaty. It has a, like a, it has like a drunken effect to it, which again fits the the mental state of the character. But like he's like bouncing off all the walls. He's scrambling to like load a rifle. Nobody's listening to him. Like there's three scientists like pu- like pushing him back and forth between the walls of the research station. This whole sequence was just really pissing me off, <laughs> and it goes on and on and on for minutes. It's just, God fucking damn it. Anyway, it ends with no, none of them believing him and him picking up his wounded dog, Tinny, uh, to walk back to his shed and go get drunk. Um, thankfully, one of the scientists does accompany him to make sure that he makes it okay. But um, he has a nightmare, Yannick does, so he goes to bed with Tinny. And uh, he does mention uh, to the scientist that goes with him that uh, he tells the story of how he, he obtained Tinny. Uh, apparently, Tinny belonged to a hunter uh, who lived on this glacier and they both fell down a mountain or a cliff and the hunter died and Tinny was badly injured. And uh, Yannick and Tanya uh, both took in Tinny and nursed him back to health. So that's uh, that kind of explains like a little bit of why Tanya is special to him and also why Tinny uh, is kind of the glue that holds them together. Um, anyway, Yannick goes to bed with Tinny and uh, he has a really awful nightmare of flowing red water um yeah it's bizarre imagery it it reminded me a little bit of uh, cabin fever to be honest uh and he wakes up in the morning and he grabs the radio and basically he's trying to get a hold of tanya to tell her like hey uh we got a situation on the mountain like um there's there's bug foxes out here um he doesn't really say that but he he's still he's diplomatic about it. he's like uh, it's, uh we have a rabbit fox up here so uh, i know you're bringing like some some highbrow types in the form of the minister and her family and stuff her husband 
maybe it wouldn't be a good idea to come up today or if you got to come up maybe maybe take like the most expedient route because like we, we got we got bug fox I, I mean rabid foxes up here um anyway she kind of listens but not really um berta and him uh, go up to the blood glacier which as i had mentioned earlier is no longer bloody it just looks like a glacier um but we have the situation where we know something bad's going to happen because we're it's the blood glacier and nothing's really happened in a while so something better fucking happen uh so we have berta taking this hand drill like a manual drill uh, to the glacier to get a sample of the core of it and uh yannick is trying to hustle along and uh, he steps off to take a leak and we're cutting back and forth between her drilling and him undoing his fly and it's like something bad's going to happen to one of them but we're not entirely sure which and then it's made clear by a uh, a breathing rock <laughs> um there there's a rock that he's peeing on that seems to be a a little jiggly like it seems to be uh, moving a little bit uh and it as it so happens uh, this rock that he's taking a leak on uh is a giant pill bug did not see that coming either but yeah it's a giant pill bug with like a meat with a meaty midsection uh, it makes a move for him, like it tries to bite his face. A giant pill bug tries to bite his face, and uh, he kicks it. He doesn't stomp it, but he does kick it to death. And uh, yeah, he survives his encounter with this giant pill bug, but it's also very hairy, kind of like the fox. Uh, it's deeply unpleasant to look at, if I'm being 100% honest. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Tanya is leading the minister and the rest of their party, which consists of like a photographer and a bodyguard, an aide. There's a... There are there are a few too many people in this movie, if you ask me. A few too many people, not enough victims, if you ask me. Or maybe check that. It's not so much the numbers; it's more of what what is done with the characters. Uh, there's not quite enough characterization, or failing that in a creature movie, what you need to have is gore. Like gore can solve so many fucking problems in movies of this subgenre. Like, it's it's cool that we have creature effects in this movie. I do appreciate some of the creature designs in this film. Uh, but what I what I need from a movie like this sometimes is at least one instance, especially early on in the film, to make it known why you need to be afraid. Like, why these things are bad. Um, and we don't really get that. Like, like we do learn like the nature of the creatures like we do understand we do come to understand what makes them and and what like what their deal is but in terms of what they do to people a little bit lacking if if i'm being 100 percent honest um anyway uh we we actually do uh very similar again to john carpenter's the thing or almost any movie of this subgenre to be honest most creature features uh with this sort of like slow pace to them uh, we do an autopsy of the pill bug, and of course we have a jump scare in the form of like a a reflex when we're trying to open it up. And uh, Berta's doing an examination on it, and uh, we're cutting back and forth between the research station, like learning what we can from this giant pill bug, uh, to the hiking party heading towards the research station that's being led by Tanya. And uh, the photographer that's with them uh, gets bit on the neck, uh, by a mutated mosquito of some sort, and uh, when he smashes it, it's a, it's a gooey mess. Um, but they they treat it as if it's just a mosquito. So he's like, "Oh, I'm fine. We can keep on going." So it's very much like the uh, the classic zombie bite trope in in a zombie movie, where it's like maybe maybe don't 
downplay the potential intensity of that like i'm I'm not talking about like 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 the movie i'm talking about the characters where it's like maybe pay like when somebody's going on and on and on about like rabid animals in the environment like maybe 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 be keenly aware of what's going on anyway Alberta has a theory which essentially becomes like truth like because we don't really have time or a wiggle room to theorize beyond what she says here as to what the nature of the the contagion is here but um basically her theory that she exposits uh to our characters about uh concerns the red substance on the glacier and she says it's some sort of transformative agent like a cluster of single cell organisms that serve as like a transformative agent of some sort uh, that take up residence in the stomach of whatever ingests them uh, and then takes the DNA of whatever whatever creatures uh, were ingested by the creature that's taking residence within uh, and then gives birth to a hybrid organism. Uh, so she she explains using <laughs> using crudely drawn diagrams that uh, our our giant pill bug probably was the product of a fox um, that had somehow ingested the microorganisms microorganisms from the blood glacier as well as a wood louse as she says and a beetle uh, which thereby gave birth to a hybrid fox wood louse beet beetle uh so that's the creature that they have at the research station is the product of that fusion uh it seems to be a stable fusion in that the thing is living but they everybody takes issue with the fact that like now how the fuck did it get so big um and she says well you know insects have very uh short lifespans uh therefore everything is is compressed its timeline is compressed so um and she also says that hybrid organisms uh grow faster than than normal organisms anyway so that's how they they hand wave that away um also there's another just like tidbit thrown out there that uh the very classic uh maybe maybe this is how we got legend legends of anubis or werewolves and whatnot having to do with fusions of human beings and animals maybe put a pin in that um as like and by the way this this dialogue is being delivered over a um Dialogue coming from Yannick asking, so what happens if uh, something is infected with this, like a dog, for instance, like, like, uh, like hypothetically, like, like a dog, like say a dog had this stuff and it, uh, I don't know, licked the blood off of your head wound or something. What would happen then? And she's like, well, you know, like it, it, it combines the DNA of whatever it has in its stomach. So you do the math. Um, and then we actually see a couple of shots of Yannick hanging out with Tinny. Uh, so what we have here is something that is set up, and uh, the movie kind of waffles back on back and forth as to whether it's going to pay this off or not. Um, and I'll tell you right now, folks, uh, when you get to the end of this one, um, not every filmmaker would be willing to to do what this film does. I I still have mixed feelings about. It. Maybe I'll. Uh, come to understand those feelings a little more clearly by the time I get to the end of this talk here. Um, but I was just kind of taken aback. Like, like I was surprised uh, by the ballsiness of the director to, to actually follow through with, with what they set up here. Cause it's like, 
not everyone would be willing to to go that particular direction with the story. So if you don't get what I'm alluding to here, I'm sorry, that's probably having to do with me talking a mile a minute and trying to fill all the dead air all by myself, mind you. Um, But by the time we get to the end, I'll make it very explicitly known. But uh, what follows um, is yet another bit where Yannick, now now being privy to more information about what they're dealing with, Hops on the radio and tells Tanya, like, hey, could you, like, have everybody take the f- really fast route instead of, like, the shitty route that you're going on? Because, like, I-, I-, I don't want to tell you what we're dealing with, but, like, I-, I can't emphasize enough. This fox, my god, it is so rabid. Like, like it is the most rabid fox you will ever deal with in your life. Uh, so get here on the double. Um and then we have a scene that uh, will probably set some people off uh, in the form of uh, Yannick coming coming to terms with the fact that uh, Tinny has he has whatever these microorganisms are in in him, uh, as evidenced by a, a growing like it's almost like a hernia, like it, it's like a pulsating hernia on his underbelly. Um, so whatever whatever it is, it's not good, and it, it's going to come out eventually. So he's in a bind where it's like I, part of me wants to euthanize my 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 dog Tinny uh, to prevent further suffering on his behalf. But um, he actually holds a rifle up to Tinny, and the dog acting here is spectacular because Tinny just like looks into his fucking soul so fucking hard that he puts the rifle down. Um, but just that image of, of a man holding a, a weapon up to his dog, I'm, I'm sure is not something that would set well with, with some people. But anyway, uh, Tanya, we cut back to Tanya's group and they're all, they're all hiking around. And, uh, we see that the photographer guy who got bit by the mosquito is getting worse. Um, but she does agree to take the more expedient route. And then we get, then we get like one of the weirdest fucking bits in this whole movie. Um, it's kind of weird because for the most part, this this film is constructed like I, I'm not sure if directed is the best way, but it is constructed with a fairly even and deft hand. Like like it, there's not a whole lot of glaring instances of what the fuck isms. Um, what I mean by that is like sometimes you can see where a production is maybe slipping off the rails a bit, where they, you know, they they really sh- like they really sloppily edit edit together a couple of sequences. Not necessarily moment to moment, but like maybe there's a really awkward scene transition or something. Uh, this movie doesn't have a whole lot of that. It's actually fairly well put together for the most part. But what we have here is this just random insert sequence where the lighting completely changes. We meet a character that, as far as I know, uh, I don't think we met her earlier in the film, but it's a really young girl in like Daisy Duke shorts uh, with face paint running around the base of the glacier uh and the lighting is totally different it seems to be a different time of day um and she gets accosted by a uh, a flying what appears to be like a wasp or a or a mosquito hawk um and she trips over a rock and it tackles her it attacks her the, the puppetry here is not the best a lot of that has to do with the lighting honestly again this all takes place in open air in like at twilight essentially so it's like it's not it's not the best lighting to showcase your creature is what i'm getting at um but it like it jabs its stinger into her thigh and then we cut away 
It's like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> like, where did that come from? It wasn't set up at all. The movie's actually been doing a pretty decent job of, like, establishing the threat and emphasizing what we need to be worried about and where it might be coming from. Like, for now, like, Tinny is, is one of the, the things that we need to be the most scared about. That and, you know, the Beetle Fox, wherever the fuck it went, got to, because we never resolved that. But now we have, like, a fucking hawk wasp thing that's attacking someone we've never met before and it just comes out of nowhere even though we've very very purposely been focusing on exactly two parties up till now so it 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 was very jarring uh and it's one of the only instances in the whole movie where it happens but uh yannick is uh he's pissed uh he wants to go meet tanya halfway uh so he grabs his rifle and uh we he has a he has a tiff uh, with the three scientists it's actually it's intense but it's also a little bit hilarious because it's like three nerds <laughs> trying to fight off a, a he's not that big but like they're trying to fight off a gruff mountain man with a rifle and it goes about as well as you'd expect where just like he handles all of them and and it ends with like no no more violence than just like some wrist control and some shoving uh, but he just stares daggers into all of their souls and just like takes off in a huff, and they're all like, "Well, that could have gone better." <laughs> it's like, it's like, "Geez, man, you didn't have to get so physical." It's like, well, you know, you guys, you guys were like trying to keep me from doing the right thing, uh, because their whole their whole subplot, uh, the science crew that is, uh, has to do with them not wanting the the information about the creatures about the microorganisms and the blood glacier to be made public too soon uh for whatever reason because they don't want to have their research halted or or they know that it's a significant finding and there's a there's a correct way of unveiling it to the public they don't want to cause a panic uh so whatever social commentary uh, you you want to attribute to that go go right ahead because it's probably spot on anyway yannick takes off into the fog into the mist uh, to meet Tanya's group, uh, the scientists all stay at the research station, and he comes across. I believe they call it an ibex. Uh, basically, it's a, a it's a quadrupedal like hooved creature with gigantic fucking horns, um, and it it has been eviscerated. Uh, so what we what we can infer from that is uh, this ibex ingested the microorganisms and had some sort of hybrid creature come out of it. So put a pin in that as well um we cut back to tanya's group and uh the the gal uh that we saw get attacked by the uh the falcon uh wasp or falcon mosquito or whatever uh she runs out of the mist and she is in a manic state she is badly injured and uh, tanya wrestles her to the ground and by the way there is this big big palooka named uh luke luca uh who actually is armed he has a handgun um, I believe he's like either the minister's son, I, either that or like a bodyguard, like like some sort of armed personnel, a security personnel assigned to protect her and the party. Um, and uh, shocker, uh, he he makes a move to defend them from the Falcon, which makes itself known, and it uh it actually sneaks up behind him. It swoops down behind him and impales him in the ster- through the sternum uh, with its stinger. And it kills him virtually instantly. Uh, so his handgun, I don't believe, is ever recovered, by the way. Bad move on the part of uh, everybody in the party here. Um, but yeah, the biggest, most like physically imposing member of the group is killed first, which is, you know, 
a good way to build some drama. Um, by the way, the the lighting and uh, yeah, the the lighting and the color grading during this sequence is is a little all over the place. But anyway, um, the Falcon puppet looks a little better in this instance than it did attacking the gal. Um, but yeah, it it I like the uh, the like dangling like weird fucking spindly legs it has hanging out of its midsection. Uh, it very much looks like a mosquito, but um, it looks nasty. <laughs> like all, all the creatures, I will say this much. Say what you will about the quality of their construction. At the very least, they're unpleasant to look at, like in the good way. Like they they look they look like it's 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 painful to exist. Um, but anyway, uh, Yannick does uh, meet up with the group, and uh, they all head back to the research station. And uh, unfortunately, he learns that. Uh, two of our scientists, two of the three, um, the guy that had gone with him at the beginning of the movie and Berta, everybody's favorite, uh, took off to the blood glacier on their own. And they, not only that, they took the satellite phone with them, which is of course the only means of communicating up on this mountain with the outside world. So now we have a dilemma where we are trapped essentially. And, uh, it's getting, it's getting to become nighttime as well. Uh, so everybody takes refuge in this, the research station. Uh, the young gal that was attacked by the falcon wasp uh, is strapped to a table. Well, not strapped to a table, but she's like laid out on a table and her wounds are addressed, but she is too badly injured uh, to take care of here and now. We need we need proper facilities. We need doctors. Um, and then we cut to the two scientists up uh, at the research booth uh, by the blood glacier. And uh, it looks like they're taking more samples of the blood glacier uh, and very unexpectedly, Berta is attacked by another giant pill bug, uh, and it, it envelops her whole face, and it looks a little hokey because it's like very obviously like a rubber puppet monster, like held up to a woman's head, and it just looks like she has a giant fucking bulbous like gray monster head, and she's like rolling around on the ground, and uh, I think it's implied here that the scientist with her, the the fellow that had gone with Yannick at the beginning of the movie, I think it's implied here that he uh, accidentally murders her uh, because he's trying to help her with like get the creature off her head. And it's it's drawing blood, by the way. It's really fucking up her face under it. Um, but the way he tries to help her is she's laying on her back and he takes a rock and he bludgeons it. So he hits the thing in its spine, but her her face is on the other side of it and uh it falls off and we see her face has been caved in so i want to say it, she very well would have died if it had stayed on her face but i want to say the actual killing blow was inflicted by him based on the the nature of her face uh the aftermath of that bludgeoning uh, which sucks for both of them honestly like that really has to suck knowing that you did that just to your co-worker um and then what follows is uh, the scene, uh, which I will caution um, anybody who has uh, issues about stuff with dogs, like bad things happening to dogs in movies. Uh, this is the scene that would put this movie on that list of, of the no-fly zone for those people. Uh, it's a really well-acted and well-executed scene, unfortunately, uh, for those people anyway. Uh, basically, it's a Yannick and a Tanya and it's all shot in very close close-ups. Uh, the acting performances from both players is, are quite good, <laughs> Tinny included. Uh, again, the doc acting in this film is superb. Um, but what what happens here is uh, Tanya explains that she 
left the mountain and he's he's like i still don't know why but um he reveals to her that uh tinny has something growing inside him and it it seems like tinny's not going to make it through this uh and without a word exchanged uh tanya much like much like yannick actually proposes the same thing he attempted earlier again without a word exchanged and this is this is a well-executed scene for this is that all of this communicate with just looks and uh and and body language uh she actually pulls out some sort of syringe and uh fills it up with some sort of fluid and hand like hands it off to yannick in such a way that both their hands touch and uh they do euthanize tinny like they again not a word exchange it's just she sees the situation they've seen other creatures they know that this is probably not survivable um this is probably agony for tinny uh so they make the mutual choice uh to to put tinny down um and then immediately afterwards uh she makes it known to yannick that she had left the mountain and was pregnant with his child and she doesn't say what became of it she never says out loud what became of it but she he says like oh was it my kid and she's like yeah of course you fucking dumb dumb but um when he says like how is it she just shakes her head so he does he does like say some really nasty things to her later alluding to her having uh well not alluding to he explicitly states that like you you aborted our baby i don't know if she actually did that or if it was a miscarriage point is they don't actually have a kid although she was pregnant at one point uh, which is why she left and couldn't be around him because apparently it was too traumatic um Anyway, we cut back to the research station where everyone else is gathered, and uh, they're doing the, I don't know, the isolation thriller thing where everybody's getting at each other's throats about whatever whatever bullshit they got. Um, and then they are beset upon by a uh, monstrous Ibex, uh, which, as far as I could tell, uh, it looks like, like imagine like a, a giant zombie deer with like big, big, like curled horns or a zom- zombie antelope or something. Um, but it also has like these, these little useless wings, like just these, these little semi-transparent, uh, like fly wings, uh, on its back, uh, that make that, that irritating, like fly, fly wing batting noise. Um, it's kind of a gnarly looking creature. Unfortunately, it's, it's massively ineffectual. Like it's not nearly as strong as I, as I, would have liked honestly because we have instances where it, it forces its way through a door it it's not strong enough to knock a door down or or even knock down like wooden barricades so it's actually kind of wimpy because like yannick pushes the thing out it grabs it by the horns and he actually just pushes it out the door like it's what should be this like big escalation in the tension because like really what we've seen is like a bug fox uh, a bug falcon like small things critters essentially but this thing should be like an escalation where it's like it's got some fucking weight it's got some muscle behind it and more than that it would have been nice to have like a creature that threatens their shelter like like really really puts like a a concrete like a uh, time limit on how long they can camp out here because like if if it keeps coming back and it keeps smashing itself against the wall maybe it'll get through or something but we never actually really get that like it's it's a pretty ineffectual creature for as big for as big as it is uh they really just kind of shove it out the door (laughs) it's not a really big deal but 
Now we do have this uh, big long sequence where it's like testing all the walls, like slamming itself into all the walls, and all the lights are flickering and stuff, and everybody's screaming. All the like all the props in this con- obviously constructed set get knocked to the floor here. Um, the minister lady is wigging out. Uh, she's pretty great in this movie. I haven't been spotlighting her very much, but she's this stout blonde woman that's uh, considerably older than most of the other characters in the film, but she commands the fucking room. Like she has, she wears all the pants uh, in this movie. Uh, she's pretty great. And uh, case in point, uh, when the ibex forces its head through an open window, like it it starts thrashing around through this windowsill. Um, Yannick is like doing his best to push it back out, but it's her that is the difference maker in the form of taking uh, one of those hand drills uh, to its fucking throat and uh, drilling a a nasty fucking hole in its throat and screaming all the way. Uh, It's a pretty fun little gore sequence, and uh, it's a really good demonstration of her strength of character. Um, Anyway, there's a plan formed here where uh, Tanya, Yannick, and... uh, the scientist who accidentally killed Berta uh, all go out to the blood glacier again uh, because they need to recover the satellite phone because Tanya makes it known that the the young woman that they had recovered from the mountain uh, does not have enough time. Like they they do have a chopper coming to them, but it's not until tomorrow afternoon, uh, such that she she will. They do have a rescue operation here. Like they like they do have a means of escape. Unfortunately, the timeline doesn't add up to the point that this this gal will expire before it gets there. So they need they need to speed things up by getting the satellite phone and calling for help now. Um, in the meantime, though, uh, back at the research station, uh, it is discovered um, by all the characters uh, who are still there. Uh, that would be one of the scientists and uh, the minister and her crew uh, that the uh, the wounded gal has some sort of critter gestating in her her abdomen uh, so the minister because she has because she wears all the pants because she is the beastliest beastliest motherfucker in this film uh she opts to perform just like an impromptu surgery on this woman i don't know what her background is i don't think it has anything to do with medical training um, but we have this very hastily thrown together operation where she's going to cut this gal open they're going to burn whatever comes out of her and then they're going to cauterize the surgical wound with a hot iron. Um, by the way, I love that the uh, the scientist that's helping her, um, it for whatever reason he decided to, he needed to put on his lab coat before they started this operation. So we do the do this hard cut where they all just they all agree that we need to cut her open, and then hard cut to him now wearing his like freshly pressed and cleaned lab coat just so he can hold up a. Uh, like a a screwdriver to a Bunsen burner for the cauterization. And by the way, I think he's the only one in the room that's like dressed this way. But anyway, uh, it actually goes off without a hitch. It's very surprising. Uh, And the makeup effects of of cutting her open are actually fairly well achieved. Um, It actually comes together fairly well. What is not uh, put together fairly well uh, are the day for night sequences, uh, which make up the most of the remainder of the like exterior shots in the film uh, basically the the trek out to the blood glacier it's very obviously just like color graded like shot in the daytime but color graded to look like like a, a much later time of day it doesn't look great um anyway our our party at the research station though they're uh 
they're all just like starting to get cozy. Like they just did a cool thing. Uh, they just potentially saved a gal's life. Uh, so they all start to have some booze uh, just in time for there to be a bang at the door, which they very, very quickly open, by the way. It's like, you're not going to like check to see who it is or whatever, <laughs> or what kind of state they're in. Um, and as it so happens, uh, they open the door and it is the photographer uh, who was, of course, bit by a mosquito earlier in the film. Uh, so he comes stumbling in and it if you were curious as to why they picked this actor, I'm pretty sure it's his bone structure. He's a he's a funky looking guy. Uh, so if you're going to put heavy makeup on a guy like monster makeup on a guy, you may as well have the best foundation to work with. It's kind of like hiring Michael Berryman back in the day, like it's just like a, a shortcut to special effects. Like it's like, we don't really need makeup. He's an interesting looking guy as it is. Um, but yeah, he stumbles in and he has all these welts all over him, which, uh, little, little mosquitoes hatch from, uh, which seems very different from the life cycle of, uh, other blood gla- glacier creatures in the film. Uh, kind of a bit of a question mark there, but yeah, all these little bugs, CGI bugs fly out of his, his neck and his face and stuff and harass everybody um, in the chaos and mayhem, uh, our, our scientist, uh, the one other male scientist who was, who was there at the research station, uh, accidentally catches his lab coat once it accidentally catches fire. So I guess that was a bad idea. And he runs out of the shelter and, uh, just falls flat face down on the ground and burns to death. Uh, meanwhile, at the bla- blood glacier, um, they're unable to find the satellite phone because, uh, and this was a subplot that I didn't essentially need. Um, the scientist who uh, had accompanied Yannick at the beginning of the film uh, reveals his true colors here. Apparently he is so upset about the fact that he murdered, he accidentally killed Berta. I wouldn't call that a murder. It's more of an accident. Um, and the other two characters, Tanya and Yannick, um, start to get wise to the fact that he he may have done that because they find her corpse and they see her face smashed in which doesn't really track when you're dealing with critters that you know rip and tear rip and tear um so right when they find her corpse he pulls a flare gun on them and reveals that he did have the satellite phone and i don't i didn't need this is what i'm saying um i didn't need this last minute betrayal or what have you i didn't need this human drama in the midst of all this creature drama and stuff um but Long story short, before anything can come of that conflict, uh, the we we end kind of the way we began. Actually, uh, the the beetle fox comes. Uh, by the way, we are in the same cave that the the uh, the blood glacier drama began on. Uh, so we have the dead fox in the room with us. We have Berta's dead corpse in the room with us. And sure enough, the same critter that we began with uh, is the one that we end with, and it comes in the form of the beetle fox attacking the scientist, uh, killing him in a not especially thrilling manner, uh, and then attacking Yannick and uh, being killed by both Yannick and Tanya wielding like uh, melee instruments. She has like an ice axe and stuff, and uh, yeah, they bash its fucking head in and kill it together. Uh, which I, I think on a symbolic level, it's it's certainly worth noting. You know, th- these are the same two characters that had their bond over a, over a dog, over a, over an, a furry critter. Uh, they euthanized that creature, and now here they are killing a furry critter together. Uh, so I guess uh, their their relationship is it revolves entirely around dogs, is what I'm saying. 
Anyway, uh, they do use the satellite phone. They do recover it. They call for help. So a chopper is on the way. And they see smoke billowing. It is now daytime, by the way. Um, they see smoke billowing out of the research station. Uh, so they head back as fast as they can. And they see uh, the aftermath of what could have been some cool stuff, but the movie didn't bother showing it to us, so thanks for that. Um, so we see the, the ashes of the dead scientist, and uh, the minister and her husband and her aide are all taking refuge in uh, Yannick's shed. Uh, and the helicopter arrives, everybody's happy to see it, they go running out there. Oh yeah, by the way, uh, there is kind of a really well-acted moment here, where as, as a as our heroes discover the minister and her husband hiding in the shed, uh, when they ask about the young woman, who was, of course, the entire reason uh, everybody was running, like scrambling around in such a hurry to get shit done. Otherwise, they could have just hid until morning, honestly. Like, they didn't have to do anything if not for trying to save this woman's life. Um, the movie actually goes out of its way to, to emphasize the value and importance of human life here. Uh, because this random young woman who who died, uh, when when they when it comes when it comes time for the minister to tell Yannick and Tanya about their failure to save her life, uh, everyone in the room just like completely like breaks down, like they turn into like a sputtering mess, and it's like it's actually sincerely well acted. It's like wow, uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's how people would react to circumstances like that. Like it, it, it forgets for a minute that it's a, that it's a cheesy monster movie and becomes a real, like a real drama for a minute there. Um, <laughs> speaking of real drama, um, the ending here, the, the ballsy ending that I had alluded to earlier, uh, this is where we get to it. So the chopper has landed. Everybody's getting on it. But Yannick and Tanya go back to the shed for one second. Uh, just give everything a once-over, I guess. And uh, Tanya's like, yo, dude, you gotta see this. Uh, so she draws back a curtain in his shed and reveals uh, Tinny. Uh, Tinny having uh, been eviscerated. Like, So it's the remains of Tinny. Um, but beside that is a, a whimpering child. Now, remember what happened earlier. I forgot to really draw attention to this, but um, when Tinny was injured and before they headed back from the blood glacier that day, um, I did mention that Yannick had a nasty head wound. Uh, the The movie goes out of its way to show Tinny licking uh, the blood from his head and from his hand. Um, and, of course, he did ask Berta about that uh, at the midpoint of the movie. Like, so what would happen if... Someone, if something had these microorganisms in its stomach and ingested genetic, genetic material from a human being. And Berta says, well, you do the math, essentially. And she's like, you know, werewolves and shit. Uh, so there was, this movie goes there. Uh, the creature that burst forth from Tinny is, in fact, a human-dog hybrid. And it looks exactly what you, like what you'd expect. Like, it, it is a dog baby. It's a baby dog. Um, and it's achieved via puppetry. It's a it's a wet puppet, as a steampunk link from the Snescapades uh, podcast had told me is a a phrase the kids use these days. It is a wet puppet. I, I quite appreciate that. Uh, it's fairly well executed. Um, but what we have here is a situation where a a couple has reunited uh, over the death of of their dog, 
uh, that they they own together and uh, now they've come back together uh, she had made it known that she had had she had carried uh, his child at one point didn't exactly work out we don't know if it was by choice or if it was just you know roll of the dice um, but now we have a situation where they have a dog baby that is the product of him and his dog so not only do they not only do they spare it like Yannick's first his first like instinct is to pick up a screwdriver and threaten to fucking stab it in the face which you know not gonna lie i'd I'd imagine a lot of people would think that but um the end of this movie involves them swaddling this dog baby uh in a jacket and getting onto the helicopter with it i did not see that coming actually when i saw yannick sitting on his porch while everyone else was running the helicopter i kind of expected him to stay on the mountain or something and maybe Tanya would like entertain the idea of staying with him. I don't know if she would stay or not, but I was expecting him to just stay on the mountain or something. Um, maybe even raise the baby on his own if if it got that far. But no, they get on the helicopter together with the dog baby, and no one else seems to notice the dog baby. They're all looking the other direction, the entire ride apparently. <laughs> um, and the two characters, Yannick and Tanya, like give each other these looks that I don't entirely know what they mean. Like they're looks of concern. Like obviously, like if you're having, if you're holding a dog baby in your hand, like, yeah, you're, you're going to be a little concerned. I don't know what to expect from that, but, uh, somewhat indecipherable, not entirely sure what the mindset of these two characters are at this point, but, uh, they are heading back to civilization with the dog baby and our closing shots or if the helicopter leaving the mountain Valley. And we see that, um, while the titular blood glacier, while the original OG uh, blood glacier uh, is no longer red, uh, we see that quite a bit of the snowy mountainsides are now bathed in like a tinge of red. Um, so that opening text crawl, I think, w- was essentially alluding to like uh, the ice caps are melting uh, and now we're revealing this, these blood glaciers, and what we're, what we come to understand from these microorganisms is that anything that ingests them, i.e., drinks them, uh, will give birth to these hybrid creatures of some sort. So I guess this is like a an epoch of sorts in in the evolution evolutionary guideline for for all all the creatures like on the on the surface of the planet because you know that this is this is the water supply we're talking about or something so it's not like a a purely apocalyptic vision for the future that we end on uh i think i think really the i think that that last quote in the opening text crawl we we will change uh is what the movie's walking away with um and of course being as you know we had a kind of interesting slightly not necessarily highbrow but like a an unexpectedly deep ending for a film uh they need to walk that back because we can't have that for our movie called blood glacier Uh, so our closing shot actually is a cgi uh, falcon wasp uh flying mouth first in the camera credits uh and that was blood glacier uh from 2013 of course directed by marvin krent uh, so yeah, uh, folks at home, this has been our uh, our final episode for uh, 2021, our final weekly episode for 2021. Like I said, uh, stay tuned. We'll probably have a uh, 
catching up on Blu-ray uh, Blu for you before the year is out. Uh, but yeah, this was not an especially exciting one uh, to close out the year with, but um, it's been a, a chaotic week uh, <laughs> for the show. Uh, everybody's everywhere. Uh, I have been snowed in most of the weekend uh, amidst all the, the Christmas commotion and uh, uh, living in a Seattle uh, that is not especially uh, well-prepared for snowy conditions. Um, and yes, this has been apparently record low temperatures uh in the history of this region so it's it's been gnarly out and it it was a hell of a thing just just getting home and getting to my computer to record this so hopefully it was a good one for you uh, i had some fun watching this one and uh trying my trying my damnedest uh to carry this thing on my back but uh, that being said uh if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, um, you can find all of that located on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, the podcast is also available on pretty much every podcasting service you can imagine, including cephalopods, so fucking Google that shit. And we are available on the social medias in the form of the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema and the Twitter at Catching Cinema, so feel free to hit me up at either of those. And uh, that being said, uh, thank you so much for listening. And uh, we will catch you next time and in 2022.